happiness, in my opinion, is a result of joyful behavior because happiness is not an ending point. It's not a landing point. It's a journey. I don't know if you're going to see this voice moment, but I thought I was happy. Are, are you happy? I'm not happy at all. The question is, are you happy? Are you happy? I'm the happiest I've ever been happy? right now. P.S. Be the person who you'd want to meet because somebody needs you. Welcome to Are You Happy? The Happy Hour. Jeez. <laughs> this is what happens when elderly people get near the computer. Oh, that. Hang on. Don't no do worries. Take get angry. Time. Don't get mad. No, no. Oh, um, oh, look, I misspelled my damn name. I love it. <laughs> oh, tragic. Alex, Hang on a second. Alex is I, I know. Alex is It's Russian. Um, yeah, I like it. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> I lend my, my, remember when, remember the, the, the plague? And we all had to stay home and we couldn't do anything. So I had to teach on, look at my background. <laughs> I had to teach on Zoom. Right. That's, I had to, you know, have class. Yeah. So occasionally, because I don't, my assistant had to help me because I can't do anything as you can plainly see. So I, my assistant had to help me. And then occasionally I'd have to have one of my students open the meeting for me because I couldn't do it and I didn't want to. Right, right. And, was, Will was one of my students. And so now for some unknown reason, <laughs> every time I sign in, <laughs> I sign in as well. Oh, man, I'm so glad that I didn't say something like untoward being like, Will, who are you? Get out of this room or something. I know. I've also had people like when I go, like when I have to do business blah blahs on the thing and people will go, I wonder if that's her other name. Should we say something? Oh my gosh. People get very nervous. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. I like it. It's a great yeah. icebreaker without it having is. to really yeah, break it really the is. ice. It's almost as though you it's planned true. it. So well it's played. Yeah. <laughs> well, my best. yes, I, I love it. Welcome and thank you so much. I am so flipping excited. You have no I'm idea. I'm very happy about this whole thing. Like everything. Really? I have so many questions. And I was talking to our team because, you know, um, before any, any interview, we are on our side are trying to do so much preparation, trying to figure out what can we possibly ask? What can we say? How can we make the most out of this time? You know, because who knows when we'll see you again. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see you oh. again. <laughs> like like another interview or something. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. That's not what I meant. <laughs> well, you never know nowadays. It's, Truth, right? All these people go, going. My friend. No. Goodness. Well, you know what? You, you, you're you not allowed. And uh, what is it they say on okay. social media where people say like, oh, you must protect that person at all costs. So are you happy listeners and followers out there? The millions of them, they must protect you at all costs. So there you Check. go. So you're protected. Good. Um, Love it. But yeah. So in getting ready for this, I was asking the team, you know, what could we possibly ask that no one's ever asked? <laughs> and and I don't think there's an answer for that. But um, I don't think so either. But go ahead. I'm intrigued. <laughs> well, the whole thing started off as a documentary. So you mm -hmm. have this one guy traveling the world asking people, are you happy? Just basic, simple concept, right? Not even not even something crazy profound, just a simple question. But no one asks that anymore. And no one no. cares to listen to the response either. And so being able to ask that and then seeing it just 
turn into rapid fire during the pandemic when we all needed that closeness and connection and hearing other strangers throughout the world give their perspective on happiness and answering other questions about joy, what brings them joy every day. And then that message to the world, that one thing. And I find that there's this crinkle that happens in someone's face when they get asked, what is your message to the world? And it's like as if they relive their life in, in maybe a minute or so. And then they pull out something and sometimes they surprise themselves or sometimes, mm. you know, they say something so profound that afterward they're like, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> and it just gets spread out throughout the world and it brings so much value and so much love and uh, connection that we, we could never even imagine how far it's, it's spread, but uh, still going. And, and now we have this docuseries of which you follow us. How did you find us? Well, on the Instagram, for heaven's sake. I mean, I, I live on social media, so I love it. I think it has great power. I think it's a great gift. I think it can be weaponized, but my glasses can be weaponized. If they're <laughs> so I don't pay much attention to that. And I found you by accident. I all of my social media is based in spiritual awareness and curiosity and interest and sometimes debate, although I don't really do that. I don't engage in that. When I see it on my social media, I delete people and I block them because I just don't care. Hmm. I love this thing about social media, how people, because I remember the invent, uh, the advent of social media. Mm -hmm. I remember when it began because I'm 60. So I come from, I'm a baby boomer. I come from a whole different generation. So I remember when the first computer entered everybody's houses. Right. I'm older than Sam. <laughs> but so I remember when social media first happened and when it first happened, I don't know how old you are, but when it first happened, it was all about checking in literally because we were so thrilled. We were so amazed at this thing. All we did for the first six months was go, hi, how are you? Here's a picture of my cat. Oh, they said fine. Then it blossomed into this, what it is now. And I'm sure it will continue to change. But I loved it because I thought, what a great way to share pictures of our cat with people we haven't seen in a, in a million years. It was just fabulous. So that's the way it's always seemed to me. It's always stayed that way. It will most likely never change. And so you came on my feed one day and it literally shifted something in me and it's exactly what you said it's because of the question mm -hmm. it is so simple and yet it's so complex it's a very different question than how are you that's not the question because usually when you ask someone how are you what do people usually say yeah fine how are you yeah which is a lie yeah of course total filler it's a lie it's not a protection it's not a, a deference it's a lie no one on the planet Earth is fine. Look up the definition of the word fine in the dictionary. Nobody feels that way because it's complacency and nobody's complacent. No one on the planet. It's the reason we have the power of speech. It's not the reasons we exist to be here. So the first thing we do when we're asked that question is lie. And then when you get more specific, how are you doing today? Then we fumble a little, but usually end up with the same answer. What you have done is you've taken, how are you? And you've not only made it specific, but you've forced us to look at why we are and are not happy. Because that question that you ask is about, everybody has to take stock. Because I've been asking myself, since I knew we were going to do this, I've been asking <laughs> myself for the longest we've been waiting to do this, which is, I don't know, like a, a week. Yeah. <laughs> And I am in the midst right now of a terrible sadness, but that's very different than the question. 
because this is what I'm navigating. It's not how I feel. I am buoyantly, ecstatically happy. So it's a complex question. Definitely. And that's why it's gone on, because all of us have to be faced with that question and answer it in some kind of way. It's very true. If we were to ask you, which we totally will right now, are you happy? Yes. Yes. More than and more than any other time in my life. I love being 60 years old. I love the fact that I've survived HIV for over three decades. I love that I've lived through two viral pandemics. I love that the person that I met in 1976, the bicentennial, by the way, I'm still with and I still miss even when she's in the other room. I'm like, where is she? Where'd she go? I love the fact that I have survived and navigated all of the loss and grief and pain in my life. And I love that I really understand and respect what joy means. And happiness, in my opinion, is a result of joyful behavior. Because happiness is not an ending point. It's not a landing point. It's a journey. Happiness, in my opinion, happiness is about curiosity. And it's about navigation. And it's about balance, which never happens to anybody. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever has balance in their life. It's either too much of that or not near enough of that. So this can be detrimental in my life. I'm not an optimist. I don't believe that that's true. I don't think everything will turn out for the better. I think everything will turn out. But I do believe that there is a joy in every piece of sadness because there is a sadness in every piece of joy. So because I have learned to find my joy at this point in my life, this hasn't always been true. It wasn't true when I was younger. Because I've been able to do that, I am freakishly happy. And so in addition to your wife, Chrisanne, and your history, your book, which is amazing. Thank you. I'm not even done, but tell you why soon. I'm not going to lie and be like, oh, yeah, it was riveting. I read the whole thing. No, no, I'm not done yet. <laughs> Because I, I'm, I'm savoring glad. every piece of it. And then I read the, I read this interview you did with, I think it was Vivian from Shondaland or something like that. And uh, you mentioned how you wrote it and how it, it's not meant to be read page to page to the end and how people can stop and put it down and pick it back up and they can start off wherever they want to. And you mentioned writing it being kind of chaotic and just doing your own thing and letting your person who uh, put it all together for you and and formulate it into a very cohesive piece. And I apologize, what was her name? Joanne Gordon. Thank you, Joanne Gordon. I don't want to miss her. But um, the way that you talked about writing it, and I, I thought, thank God. <laughs> thank God that there's someone out there whose brain doesn't operate traditionally and they don't write in the sense that it's going to be A to Z. It's going to be all over the place instead. And it's going to be something that people can just pick up anywhere and just read. And I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it thus far. That makes me so happy, friend, really, yeah. because it was it's difficult. I, I've gotten pushback from people and also praise from people. But the pushback is usually because it's not linear enough for them. So they're, they can't oh. find the hook. And mm -hmm. I always tell them try to think of it less as a as a novel and think of it more as a bunch of stories and a in a big pamphlet that you know when you pick up a pamphlet at the doctor's office you don't start at the beginning and read to the end you skip to the parts that, that interest you so i said just do that and then eventually you'll put the whole story together because that's how my brain works anyway yeah and i'm so thankful for that <laughs> are you mine is quite the same yes yes i oh, am good. because cool. reading that book is almost like living inside your head almost almost yeah. it's it's like yeah. <laughs> Not quite, I'm sure. But it's it's almost as though we're seeing everything through your eyes whenever it is that you've changed the channel to something else and we're seeing something different. So it's almost like we're in your mind's eye and we're we're living 
through you. And the way that you describe it is so spot on that you can see it and you can feel it and you can you can sense it. And it's it's so well done. Thank you. And I'm very appreciative of that. It was a horrific experience yeah. <laughs> that I really would rather never do again. But, you know, I wanted <laughs> to do it once. So I had it. But I did. It was really just awful. And it was so funny because I've been thinking about it for the longest time. But then, you know, those voices in your head that goes, who the heck wants to, who cares what you think about anything, mm-hmm. Alex? Shut up. Sit, sit down. And I was so sad teaching over the Zoom, having to teach over the Zoom. I couldn't touch my students, or but that's very disturbing for me. And then there was this overwhelming sense of, I've been through this before, you know, when the pandemic happened. Right. And let me just say something about the pandemic, too, that I think needs to be repeated, as long as we're talking about my book, that this is something I think we all need to remember. That when the AIDS epidemic happened, the other viral pandemic, one of the many, but the other, the most recent viral pandemic that we all, most of us, some of us survived, some of us in the queer community, there was nothing. There was no government talking about, oh my goodness, we need to get pills or drink bleach, or there was nothing. There was nobody saying anything because it was killing all the right people. So for five years, the president of the United States, President Ronald Reagan, didn't even say the word AIDS. Not even the word. When COVID happened, we had a vaccine within a year. I'm not sure if anybody is aware of this, but the pills that you take when you're a certain age for COVID, when you're 50 and over, you can get these pills. Or if if you're immunodeficient Mm -hmm. or something else, you can get these pills. Amoxa something. I can't now remember what the name is. But they're this miracle drug that you can take now and cuts the nightmare in half. Goodness, That pill is made up of three separate antiretrovirals that are part of the HIV treatment. And not a lot of people know this. And the only reason I know this is because I took this pill when I got COVID and the doctor asked me, I was in Canada making a film. And yeah, the doctor I said, remember you having COVID. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a nightmare. And I have 450 vaccinations. It was a nightmare. <laughs> no. But, but better than, you know, death. I, you know, better than death. Yep. When I got the pill, she said, I see you're HIV positive. Are you in this medication, that medication, and this medication? And I said, yes, yes, no, whatever. And she said, okay, good, because this is made up of antiretrovirals from the HIV Mm. community, and we have to make sure that they don't combine. And I said, you mean to tell me that you people, meaning you straight white cis people, Mm -hmm. came up with not only a vaccine, but a preventative within a year and a half of this virus that's made up? of the very medications that before we got this disease called HIV murdered all of my friends. That's Mm -hmm. what you're telling me. That's what you're telling me. And she said, look, she looked me straight in the eye and she said, yeah. I said, how many people know this? How many people know that the people that lived with HIV died, died horribly so that these cis people could survive this second wave of a viral pandemic. How many people know that? How many people are aware of that? Because I don't know. I haven't heard anybody talk about it. No, definitely not. No. So look, here's the reason I say all of this. The reason I talk about this is because my happiness and my joy can be easily taken away if all I do is live in my triggers. And that's what caused me to write the book. I was sitting around just being really sad and really upset during the pandemic, really upset, really sad, and, and very triggered because, because of the people that have died to make sure that the people now could live. And my wife, who knows me better than anybody, came up behind me. I'll never forget this. I was sitting in in this very chair, Mm -hmm. in this chair. And she goes, why don't you write your book? And I went, what? 
she goes, why don't you write your book? And I went, that's dumb. First of all, nobody's <laughs> going to read it. You're dumb. Right. right. And she, she went, well, well, probably. She goes, however, you don't have anything else to do. You're miserable teaching. You only got one or two gigs. Why not? Even if nobody reads it, it'll give you something to do. And that's how the book got written. That is intense. Like, I can't even imagine the amount of rage and frustration that you felt putting two and two together. Yeah, I know. It was pretty crappy. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, nice you know, it was, yeah. it was so funny because I could have allowed myself to really hang on to the resentment. And there are times when I find myself doing that. And it just doesn't behoove anybody. It doesn't solve anything. It doesn't do anything. So... You have to you have to navigate and remind yourself, like I said, that there is a piece of joy in every piece of grief. You have to remind yourself that at least there's something now that we have at our fingertips, you know, and at the same time, we have a bunch of people going, don't take that stuff. And I'm not going to vaccinate my child. And, you know. <laughs> People reacting that way. Craziness. And I love that you brought all of that up because I was going to bring it up. Quite honestly, it's in my notes. You're you're stealing my notes, lady. And I can't imagine your grief and your heartbreak losing your friends like that left and right. I can't imagine what that must be like in the 80s and the 90s in any decade. Yeah, it was. Do you hear that? What? What is that? Oh, my God. Um, the, the very long beep of a horn. Um <laughs> Uh, I was like, I got to go. My ride's here. No. Um, so, yeah. Here, and here's the reason that we need to, like, say this loud and often. is because there's a whole queer generation. I re- I'll never forget. This is years ago, about maybe 10 years ago. And I was teaching. And I said to my students, I said that I have HIV. And one of my students innocently, mm. and really, thank God, one of my students said, Oh, you mean that, you mean that eighties disease? No. Yeah. So they, and I mean, honestly, thank God, because I remember a time when we were all praying someday that that would be true, where we we could be sitting in a room full of uh, a younger generation and and them go, that's a thing. Is that still a thing? So thank God. And also that's bad news because not only will we repeat ourselves, but this is the reason that we're in a state in our country. And now they're going, now they're going after drag queens. I, the whole thing is absolutely oh. insane, but they're winning. That's what we have to remember. That's why looking back at the way they treated us reminds us of how they're treating us today. Mm-hmm. So why, the, one of the reasons we need to continue to have these, because the queer experience has been eradicated from one of the major saving graces of a recent pandemic. Queer lives were lost so that a tiny pill could be invented and nobody's talking about it. Nobody cares. And this is why they're winning. And let me tell you something. This is why they'll continue to win. We're not winning. We're not winning. I'm sick and tired of these queers running around with all these signs and going to these damn marches. It means nothing because then they go home and they blah 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 about harry styles and lady gaga and all of that is great i love all that i love my community i'm just saying don't live in expectation i've been through this before i've walked out my front door and gotten arrested because i was trans i've stood in a line at the 7-eleven and been yanked by some great big huge guy with a gun and a badge and a hat because I was trans. 
I was told, no, you can't work here because I was trans. No, you can't teach here because I was trans. No, you can't go to this bathroom because I was trans. That shit hasn't gone away. They hold on to that. They know what works. So for the community now, for the younger generations, for the people that are without that knowledge, but also for those that are trying to do something or trying to have that conversation, do you feel like there's hope? Oh, God, yes, absolutely. Just because I'm pissed off doesn't mean I've lost faith. I have great faith because I also remember Stonewall. Yeah. So I know what we're capable of. And I know I remember when gay marriage became legal. I remember when I was able to get my birth certificate changed. Uh, so we're in a much better and brighter place than we have been. And we continue to move upward. So no, I want to be really clear. I know we will survive this. But during the time of the, look, every war has casualties. Every battle that has been fought throughout history in every land must adhere to the rules of war, which means somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. That's what I'm worried about. What I'm worried about is our side is already claiming victory. That's what's scary to me. Hmm. Do I have faith that we're eventually going to win? Of course. Right always wins. That's historic. That's not faith or spirituality. Read a book. Go back to the 1600s in any country. We always win. It's the reason we talk about restitution now for African-Americans. It's the reason we talk about land division and critical race theory, what we did to the indigenous people in our country. We're talking about it. We're making TV shows about it. We will absolutely win. The thing that's frustrating right now is listening to this younger generation going, oh, please, it's fine. Everything's great. Can I have a cocktail? <laughs> that's what's upsetting. Yes, I agree. I didn't I didn't think that you sound angry or, or negative and that it cannot change. Just it's the experience and the history of what you've lived through. That's what rings true through your, your voice. And I think people probably might hear that as anger, but it's not. I think it's just your, li your life experience just pouring through before you even. Yeah, say I it. mean, I think you're right. I, I, I and I don't feel anger. It's, re it's really more frustration. Mm -hmm. I, I do get angry. I have a temper, but I I'm not angry right now at us. Mm. I'm just frustrated. It's frustrating at times. And so when I when I have to talk about this, especially to younger queer people, I make it really clear that they need to because now what's I don't know if it's great, but now what's helpful is when I talk about the HIV plague, I can go, remember when you were stuck home for two years? Do you remember that? Remember that feeling? Remember when you were watching TV and you watched dead bodies being loaded into ice trucks because they ran out of room? Do you remember that? We'll pare that down to just the queers. That's what was happening. Then they can go, oh, so strangely, and who knows why, there's always divine providence as far as I'm concerned, that now we have some kind of touching point. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I get frustrated when I hear, especially young LGBTQIA plus people go, meh. I guess in several articles, you've you've mentioned the trans community not being seen in TV or in film, not as much as representation as there should be and as is necessary for other other communities to accept the trans community and know more about them and ask more questions about them. Do you see this changing? I know you're you're in a lot of work now. You're, you're in more work that's coming up. And I guess. Do you see that changing in, in the industry? Oh, yeah. It's completely different. Candace and I talk about Candace Kane, and I talk about this a lot. Laverne, too. Laverne Cox. When I first came to Hollywood, we used to joke about this all the time. 
I guess it's not so funny, but when I first came to Hollywood, there was five of us, literally. <laughs> and we would meet at every audition, the same auditions with the same trans people sitting around going, well, should we go to Denny's afterwards or where do, where do you want to go, kids? So now there's a plethora and we have non-binary humans that are artists now we have training for a for us specifically the trans community which acting training for the trans community has the same foundation acting is acting dreaming is dreaming storytelling is storytelling but also because we're so new you know this first wave of trans actors there's no road ahead of us see i can't tell you and i'm sure you understand you understand what i'm talking about most of the time i am the only one like me, within miles of wherever I am. I don't care if I'm on set or at the grocery store. The only one. So my life is about navigation. My life is about representation. My life is about looking for somebody, anybody, who can sound like me, walk like me, look like me, that I can at least point to, for Christ's sake. And now that's changing. Now I look around sometimes when I'm on set and I go, oh, hello. Or I'm able to walk down the street and go, oh, yay, family. That's different. And that's that's our community. That's our community, not just surviving, but building back better. And when you see that now, can you express how that feels for you? Because I can I can imagine being exhausted and being the only one in a sea of, of many that are alike. And it, it's exhausting. But then now... You have this breath of fresh air, seeing people like you everywhere. How is that for you? It's better. <laughs> it's better. It's better. I, I'm i exhausted. That's such a good word. I get really tired of having a conversation that I've had now for 50 years. If I have one more conversation about the bathroom, I'm going to leap off my porch. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. take my, my oatmeal with me. And I, <laughs> and I realized my job and all of our jobs is about teaching our, uh, you know, teaching who we are through the lens of our own experience to others so we can better tell the story of the human experience. I realize that that's everybody's job on the planet, not just mine, not just yours, everyone you know and everyone you don't know. It's everyone's job to share as much of who they are as they are able to. I understand that. But when you're the only one in the room, it's not about sharing. It's about explanation. Sometimes you have to play defendant. Sometimes you're witness for the prosecution. I mean, it's a whole thing. And so now what I've learned at 60, because it's exhausting, is sometimes I don't say anything. Sometimes I just shut up. Sometimes I just let things go. Sometimes I'm like, you know, not if it's detrimental to someone else or to me or certainly to my wife. It doesn't go anywhere if that happens. But you're the only one that's going somewhere. But if it's something that used to get me really riled up, I think, you know what? Someone else can take care of that. It's okay. It's okay. I was on a set not too long ago and the director, who was darling, just a doorbell, misgendered me and called me he and... But he did it so casually. It wasn't directed at me. Mm -hmm. That's happened many times. But it, this one wasn't. It was very casual. It was It was kind of like me saying, these are my earbuds. Right. He Scratching the nose. Like yeah. yeah. And I'm sitting 
uh, when we're all on set and there's a million people and a lot of things going on, and he's talking to somebody, one of the people, crew, people. And I sat there and I went through it in my head. I went, okay, how is this going to work? Because I've been to this a million times. Of course. First, it's going to happen. Then that's going to happen. Then this is going to happen. And I went through the whole scenario. And I thought, we're definitely going to talk about it, but I don't want to do that right now. Let's just do the scene. Let's just do the work. It wasn't at me. It wasn't violent. Well, it, it is violent, but it wasn't, it was a, it was something I knew I could, ha- and I'm only speaking for myself. I'm not telling anybody what to do. Mm-hmm. It was something I knew I could handle and something I could hold. So we did the scene. And then afterwards I explained to him, uh, he's from another country. Gender is a whole other conversation. So I had to explain not just, it's, it wasn't a conversation about, here's why this hurts my feelings. It had to be a whole conversation. Like I had to get out pointers <laughs> and drafts and books. And it was a whole thing because I had to talk about gender in the United States. Oh, wow. Because, I, you know, I was talking about my feelings and he felt bad, but it did. I saw it didn't go in him because he's from a different place. So this is what I'm talking about. And if I, and you know, he misgendered me two times after that. And here's what's really interesting. <laughs> Is the third time, finally, I turned to him on set and I said loudly in front of the crew and everyone, you're not going to do that anymore. Do you understand me? Look me right in the eye and tell me you're not going to do that anymore. Because if you do that anymore, I'm going to take up my toys, all of them, every single one of them and go home and you'll never see me again. Everything you see here will stop. So tell me you're not going to do that again. You to tell me you're not going to do that again. And he said, I'm not going to do that again. And he never did. So isn't that weird? I went on this huge explanation as kind as I could. It happened two more times. But then when I got, when I turned into Betty Davis, (laughs) he, he stopped the behavior. So I don't know. Who knows? When I get exhausted, I take a break. When I get riled up, I go, man. I just go. So that seems to be, I guess, like a side effect of youth or, or younger years is that we are quick to answer and get riled up and, and respond or react or explain right away. And I guess in your older years, um, you don't look older, by the way. And this is an don't audio I? podcast. You don't. You don't. Either you have a Zoom filter. No, I'm just kidding. You look great. You look amazing. I have 14 filters, but uh, listen, please. <laughs> I no, I do. I really, I don't yeah, like that. you look, oh, you don't look 60. I'm like, I don't lie. I don't lie. Why am I going to lie? Why? 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 What does 60 look like? Tell me what, do you know other people that look 60? Do I know other I people mean, that are 60? Yes. I do know other do? people. Yes. And they look different than the way I look. Yeah. Maybe there's jeans. There's that. There's maybe, a, I don't know. Regimen. There's what you eat. There's, there's some that, reasons why. Yeah. You know, there's, I, you know, I'm also brown. Uh, Boom. So many things. But no, that that wasn't where I was going with that. What I was trying to say, you're welcome. I try to give that where I can. What was I saying? Oh, yes. Young people. We're dumb. (laughs) We're quick to to anger. I'm 38. I'm not that, you know, I'm in the middle. For you, that's like me saying, oh, I'm I'm old enough and I'm 12. Yeah, I get that a lot. Listen, the same thing happens to me when I go to my mother-in-law's house who's in her mid-80s. And I go, I'm still old. And she goes, shut up. Yes. I tell people to shut up all the time. I tell them, unless you cannot get out of bed without help and you can't remember where you left your car, don't tell me that you're old. Don't tell me that you're dying because you're not dead. You're still here. You're talking to me. But uh, you can say whatever you want because you're you. (laughs) I can say whatever I want. And you know what? Can I say something? Sure. Everyone else can too. Everyone else can say whatever they want. Because here's the thing. There's a whole group of people who have championed free speech. 
right? Yeah. That's why Twitter is is the thing that it is now. Free speech, I can call you any name I want to. I can mm. say what I can use the N word and the Q word and the L word and the P word and whatever words they want to, I can because free speech, free speech. Mm -hmm. So my thing is, okay, there are certain words I don't use. That's my choice, uh, so, but that's my choice. But when I feel something, instead of considering politeness or societal norms, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. And I think that that's fine for everybody. I don't think you have the right to say whatever you want to a, every single person. I don't believe that's true. Does that make me a non-believer in free speech? I don't know. Here's my litmus test. Speak the way you would speak to your mother in a place of worship. If you don't speak that way to every single human on the planet, and there are other words you want to say, shut up. Write them down. Put them in a book. <laughs> Make little signs. You know, there must be other things that you can do. There must be those kind of words that you feel you have to use so badly or you're just going to bust. Like this person couldn't possibly understand how I feel unless I call them this name. I have to use that word. If that's true, write it down. Hmm. Use it like a flashcard. Listen, you dirty little, I am sick and tired of you and your family coming around. Our, I'm not going to, you are a big, you know, just do that. I'm fine with that. You do not have the right to use language in a way that is about violence and kindness and provocation simply for provocation fact. That's it's that's not the reason language was created. It was created so that we could communicate. Right. Not so not so we could diversify. I think that when it takes away from someone else, takes away from their identity, it takes away from their their humanity when you say something. And if it takes away from them in those respects, then yeah, don't say it. Don't say it. I mean Shut up. they have just as much right to be who they are as you do or yeah. I do. And so if we and, say things you know, the thing is, if if what I am and what I am disturbs a lot of people for some reason, if what I am disturbs you, I have no problem having a conversation about my feelings and your feelings. I really don't. I don't have a problem doing that. What I do have a problem with is you thinking every single space is yours. Every Then think of it when I say space, think of these spaces like parking spaces. Like your house is a parking space. So you park there, you go in there, it's yours. It's always, there. it's got your name on it. Nobody else can go in there. It's your private thing. You can decorate it, not decorate it, paint it, put little pictures of Judy Garland around, whatever you want to do. It's your space. Cis people have been taught every space, the grocery store, the church, the mosque, the school, the outside of the school, the playground. So when you have that idea, when you know that, as a person of color, as any kind of marginalized person, you must know that every space you walk into, and I'm talking about opening your front door and walking outside, every space you walk into, you are trespassing. You have to know that. And we're back to happiness again. How you navigate that is going to dictate your happiness. Very how true. you navigate it, not if you navigate it, how you navigate it, those are two very different things. When I heard that initially, uh, midway while you're talking, but then what you said about minorities reminds me of a time where I was I was in a program for first-generation youth that were minorities, government-run, and they took us to Dallas, Texas, which I now live here. But 
they took us here from South Texas in San Antonio and they said, we're going to take you to this museum and we're going to take you out to all these wonderful educational places and let you have this week and you can run about and learn and live. And so then the first stop we make is in front of uh, this big museum, downtown Dallas. And I remember we get off the bus, this really old, old looking, looking lady. She was beautiful though, but she was so racist. She, she comes up with her friend, call her Judy. And she says, I didn't know that your people liked art too. And I was so taken aback because I hadn't I hadn't come across that kind of, of just, I'm going to tell you what I think. And I think I came across it before, but I chose to ignore it on purpose because it had no place in my life. But when I heard it then, I just couldn't believe it, couldn't believe it. And I let it affect me for a second. But then my smart Alec mouth said, I can't, I can't believe your people or people like you still think that way. And she was mad that I said something back. And I went about my day, but I've, I've always lived in such a way that I've never really thought about being a trespasser because I didn't care because I was going to do what I was going to do anyway. And I lived that way and I, and I went to school and I worked really hard to you know do whatever I did. But uh, yeah, that, that still stands out in, in my mind that there, there was a time where, where it was face to face where someone actually told me I, I shouldn't be there. I, there was no reason why I should be there. And I thought that's dumb. <laughs> so. Yeah. I love that story. And I love that story for two reasons. And I just want to, I just want to reiterate that when you say that, thank goodness, there are people that don't believe that every space is theirs. Remember this, innately, what they're doing is they're overcoming what they still believe was true to begin with. They might have overcome it, but it's not something that innately they believe is true. I don't care where they're from. I don't care where they're from or how they've been brought up. They could have been brought up by earth shoe loving tree hugging hippies. I don't care. I'm telling you, they have had to navigate and overcome. So that's something that minorities need to remember. We need to remember this, that they're working. This is a good thing that they're working, but it's work. And the second thing is, you know, that woman, because she was calling out you uh, trespassing in her, in her space, that's what that that's what that is. It's an announcement to the world that you are the trespasser. That's all that is. Race is a blatant racism is a proclamation to whoever is in earshot that this person is trespassing. That's what that is. And the wonderful thing is your presence. I love that you said something. I would have cheered you on. Absolutely. But the fact of you, you see, because you didn't turn around and get back on the bus and go home. You didn't dissolve into tears and stop. You walked into the space and continued to go. And that is something she will never forget. To this day, I'm telling you, she remembers. If she's still on the planet, she remembers. No, I I doubt it. (laughs) I doubt she's still here. But (laughs) yeah, probably not. But she, but she, through her life, she went through that scenario. That brown lady didn't stop when I... When I said that. <laughs> Brown kid, smart mouth me. Yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, she no, it, 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 definitely, it definitely had to have had an impact on, on how she thought oh, yeah. about what she said the next time she saw another brown person. Or, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh or, absolutely. You have so much work in, in um, as an actor, as an artist, as an activist, as an author now, as a speaker. What do you want to do? What, what do you want to do that will make you happy like in, in, the, in like the next year or so? Outside of everything you're already working on, what, what would make you happy right now? If other people would be kinder, that would make me really happy. I'd really appreciate it if people would just practice being kinder to the people that they think they have nothing in common with. I'm tired of deliberate cruelty 
I'm tired of intentional meanness. None of it ever changes anything and it doesn't do anybody any good. And it means nothing in the grand scheme of things. I mean, it never changed me when bullies bullied me. It never stopped me from being who I was or changed my thinking. That never worked. And I don't know anybody where deliberate cruelty has been a great gift of change. So I just, that would make me really happy. Is if just I could witness more practice of people at least attempting. We don't have to like each other. I'm not trying to make a utopia. You don't have to like me. Quite frankly, I couldn't care less how you feel about me. But if you have different views, and even if you're trying to deliberately squelch my voice, deliberate meanness, cruelty, and unkindness isn't going to change that fact. Conversation, dialogue, and the attempt to understand will, because I've seen it. I've seen it work time and time again, generation after generation, person after person. I've seen it work. That would make me happy. Do you think that social media now has a great role in that, making it more visible, that if people can do these acts and, and generally have genuine conversations and, and meet across the table or connect in some way, honestly, do you think that social media is going to help to put that in front of everyone's face and kind of keep on circulating the conversation? Well, I think it's a great question. Well, I think it will do both. I think it will, because it, social media is a portal. It's not a thing that exists. It's, it, you know, it, it's not like this coaster. It's an idea that all of us agree on. You know, it's like time. Time isn't a thing. It's ethereal. It's not noon. It's only noon here. That doesn't mean it's noon. You just, so, you know, we just all make an agreement. And that's what social media is. We all made an agreement that it is this thing that we can debate and show pictures of our cat and say, how are you? And also <laughs> call each other terrible names and post Judy Garland videos. It will do both. It will amplify both the greatness of humanity and the tragedy of it. And I love that. I think it's remarkable. I think it's, it's endlessly fascinating to me. And because I think human behavior is fascinating mm. and it is literally living in space. Nobody can touch it. You can't touch social. You can't hold social media in your hand and wrap it and give it as a gift to somebody. It's not even a real thing. I've been in recovery for since the 1920s. And so when I go to meetings, I always remind myself. <laughs> you said the 20s? You were alive in the 20s? I've been sober for a long time. Um, <laughs> but I, when I go to meetings, my recovery meetings, I always remind myself, no one's in charge. We're just a bunch of drunks and hookers and addicts and, you know, smack freaks and meth heads. And, and that's all we are. We've just all, it's so beautiful. We've just all made an agreement that we're all going to sit in these chairs and read this book written by two drunks and do the best we can. That's all that is. There's no corporation. There's no president. There's no head of it. I don't know where that money goes. I have absolutely no idea, but I don't care. So this agreement that we've made that we call social media is a reflection of the human experience. So it will do, it will do what we do. Yes, both positive and negative for sure. I like that there's so much opportunity for people to express themselves and create, create content, right? People that you normally wouldn't see create content and, and different tools and software, things that they can use to create their art, AI, whatever it is. It's amazing to see 
different voices. It's it's no longer us watching Hollywood and seeing the same directors or the same actors or seeing their progeny make films and, and, and just watching Hollywood. Now we can watch more online. We can watch independent filmmakers. We can watch people that want nothing to do with Hollywood, in fact, and watch their movies. We can we can see so much. So there's been a lot of a lot of wonderful things from that. Your teaching I love your your videos by the way on Instagram. And Thanks. <laughs> when you show your students and, and you and yeah, love those. Everything is just amazing. I love that you teach at USC. I mean, it's not not just a fact that I was like uh what is it when you're put on the side fly and you're what is it? A teaching assistant? No, no, no. Like when you apply to go to school there and then they say, no, sorry, we're going to put you on this list. Oh, uh, uh, you know, uh, like a waiting list? Yeah, waitlisted. That's it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was yeah. waitlisted. Wanted to go yeah. to film school there, but I'm kind of glad that that didn't happen. But I love that you teach there and I love your classes and how you talk about your students. And then I, I, I looked at their website and they talk about you so, so well. People say that you're, you know, you're the greatest teacher and, and the school says we're so lucky to have her in the classroom and our students are so lucky to have her in front of them, <laughs> which they are. But, but I love that you teach there and I want to know what that's like for you to, to relay these ideas and concepts to your students that things that they know, things that they don't know. And, and maybe when you surprise yourself and you teach them something that even you forgot about, what's that like? <laughs> That's brilliant what you just said. No one's ever said that to me before. You're yes. a smart cookie, my friend. Yes. yes, that's the that's the foundation of my teaching. I'm a fraud. I'm just a fraud. My students are the greatest teachers I've ever had in my life. And so the crap will fall out of my mouth, like what's <laughs> happening now. This is basically class. And so I'll say stuff and then I'll go, uh, I, who said that? What happened? Was that me? Does somebody record that? Write that down. But the reason that this is happening, the reason this dialogue is happening so easily is because you are, you have an open heart and you know vulnerability, you understand empathy. You've been through an enormous amount of stuff in your life. That's coming through very clearly to me. An enormous, a very large tragedy. By the way, the thing that you're holding on to, you need to sort of allow to break up because it's not your fault and it's not your responsibility. Can I say that to you? Sure. It's not your fault and it's not your responsibility. And you're holding on to it still. And it's really old. When I'm in class, for me, the greatest gift are those surprises. And I literally walk, I walk into class most of the time having absolute, I know where we need to go, but I have absolutely no idea how we're going to get there. Not a clue. I'm shocked when I hear what you just said about my teaching. When my students say, (laughs) I really am. When my students say, oh, it's great. or, Or the university. I mean, listen, I'm just an ex-hooker from Inglewood, you know, like teaching at USC. I'm like, what is happening? The fact that I have a master's degree is mind blowing to me. I am extremely grateful for all of these moments in my life and they are not lost on me. So when I hear things like what you just said to me, I don't even know how to process that because I don't know how to say you haven't gotten to the end of my book yet. I don't know how to say thank you to these people. I don't know how to say thank you doesn't mean they don't piss me off and I don't have to say shut up and I don't have to say it doesn't mean that that stuff doesn't happen because I have been teaching for 40 plus years and my parents were teachers and my grandparents were teachers. I come from a long line of I'm in the family business, really. My dad was a musical director, so I have been around musical theater my whole life and teaching and I am doing both those things now. But it's the only thing I know how to do. Well, I know how to hook and sell drugs. (laughs) want to do that anymore so the only thing so i i feel like i feel like teaching 
It's the first time I've ever said this, but I feel like teaching is the thing I was meant to always do. So I'm surprised I said that. I know. I'm no, I wanted to leave that silence so we could both like take that in. And I'm so wow. proud that um, that's I'm proud that there are some first in, in this show. So thank you. But I think and allow me to speak this to you as you did to me, which I'm still kind of wondering about that. But I have to tell you, you've been teaching ever since the day you were born. Have I? Hell yeah. Yeah. If, if I mean, based off of everything that I've read thus far, regardless of whether it's in the book or online or whatever, you've been teaching since the day you were born. Do you know who just said that to me? Literally. No. 24 hours ago. Not me. No, it wasn't you. It was my wife. <gasps> no. The same thing she said to me literally 24 hours ago. Smartest lady in the world. I, mean, I know. And you're stealing my notes here. And I knew that we were going to hit it off. And I was hoping that you'd be the exact same person you are. Really? <laughs> you know. I feel like, you know. like I'm too weird for the room. I sh- no. You're like, yeah, you're like, oh my goodness. I, I don't know. You're, you're like family. It feels like family. Like talking to family. Hey! I mean, you are. We're all human family. Don't care. Oh, yeah. Totally, without a doubt. Been teaching since the day you were born. And everything that you've experienced, it's a lesson for someone else. And they yeah. take that experience and they grow from it. They learn from it. And then they teach someone else. And what you but said okay, about. But wait a minute. Let me ask a question. Because don't you think, and I'm literally asking you this. Don't you think that's true of everybody? Yeah. I mean, why else do you have your show? Are you happy? Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is true of everyone. And and what you said earlier about it's important for everyone to share their experiences. All of that's so true. But I just feel like sometimes people need to hear that. And hear that they've been teaching since the day they were born, because it's one of those phrases that you just have to meditate on because there's so many different definitions and reasons why. Everyone's a teacher. And thank goodness that you put it in a book. <laughs> thank goodness that you teach yeah. the classes that you do, because, I mean, there's there's no doubt that you don't have significant impact on every single student, whether they love you or hate you or follow in your footsteps or not. Or maybe they become teachers that that teach without without uh, any kind of filter and they just teach from the heart. All of that. It all comes from their experience with you. And just like the show, every, every single experience that we record, having the unbelievable honor to travel the world or the country even or the state. I don't care where we are <laughs> to do this show uh, and to do it in person. It's, it's so much fun. It's, it's like it's like uh, being invited to do something that you can't even imagine that someone would be asked to do. And, and being unbelievably grateful every single time. And it's really quite extraordinary. How many people do you have that go out and actually like ask, like, are you happy? How many people do that? 3,000 plus. 3,000 plus. Now, they're not all active at the same time. And you mentioned, you know, feeling like a fraud while you're teaching. I teach them. I teach them. <laughs> so I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean about walking into the room. It's a Zoom room. But thinking, okay, I need to teach you how to interview and, and ask these really amazing things to get to the root of the story and to have this amazing moment with this stranger, no pressure, but let me teach yeah. you how to do that. And I've never seen you before. So, yeah. And then we have a commercial side where we work with commercial clients, businesses from all kinds. And we use the same essence that we do here, where we create this like honest story for a commercial business, say it's an author, but she wants to build a community on social. And we say, okay, you know what? Let's find out what the essence is about you. And that's great. But teaching those people too, these field reporters, how to do that. It's, it's interesting. 
But to what you were saying, 3,000 plus people, they're not all active at the same time, but you have people all over the world asking people, are you happy? And what is the source of your joy? And you've shared the source of your joy with us throughout this time. So there's no need to ask that. And it happens. Mm. And we listen. Because if I was to ask you, oh, what's the source of your joy? After you just told me about 45 minutes of joy. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that's that's dumb. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> right. That's a waste of everyone's time. So the final question, which I'll save because there's, there's a few other things that I got to ask, but... The whole experience is just like, it's crazy. And I tell you, it happened at three in the morning for me. I was a volunteer, just like everybody else. I was on my phone at three in the morning looking at TikTok. I saw a video that just pulled me in instantly. And I said, holy crap, what is this? And then uh, at the end of it, it says, join our team of interviewers. And I and I said, I love everything to do with, with TV and film and video. I It's all I ever wanted to do. Music, all of that, everything artistic. And so I said, I can do this stuff. I went outside and I said, all right, I'm going to sign up for this thing. And uh, if anything, if it goes nowhere, it's an experience. And if it goes somewhere, hey, that's cool too. But I wasn't expecting anything. I signed up and then I started doing my interviews. And the first interview day I ever had, I went to the mall and I interviewed this guy who made balloon animals. And he, he had the most profound response I'd ever heard. And uh, when it got posted, someone in the comments said, I wasn't planning to be here tomorrow. And then I saw this. And I think I'm going to stay. Blew my brain and broke my heart and everything you could possibly feel. And that's when I knew that this was, this was beyond me. But it, but it, was, it was something that I was so passionate to make sure that it, moved, it continued. And that I continued to meet people. I've met so many strangers and heard so many crazy stories. And I'm thankful for just all of it. And then being able to be part of the podcast, which it just fell into it because I started doing podcasting back in 2014 when no one was really even listening to them. And I was yeah. just messing around. But then um, this became part of it, too. And I said, hell yeah, I'll totally do that. Because every single experience with every stranger, and you're not a stranger per se, because I've seen your work and I love you and the Connors and, and everything trans transparent. Oh, my goodness. Everything. Everything you do. Grey's Anatomy. What? What? Oh, my God. Ah! <laughs> Wow, that was a long time ago. I know but, it. Yeah. I know it, but I remember it like it happened yesterday. Probably watched it yesterday, but I, I loved it. You were <laughs> you were awful. so amazing. As, oh, you were amazing then. You're amazing in everything. So just putting it out there. Perfect. You already know this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the experience of it all, just insane. And, and I'm here for it. And I'm here for hearing every single experience that I ever have, because I never once look at someone and say, oh, I know what they're going to say. Never, because it's never what you think it is. But I never want to ever be in that position where I where I automatically turn my brain off and say, OK, I'm just going to record for two minutes or whatever it is. That's that's not why we're here. We're here to share your experience or whoever's experience with the world through those questions. But then there's something else that comes from it. And I think we grow, too. So that being said, when I initially wrote all of this together, I wrote about, I wrote notes about your book and I said, there were some questions that I had about Club Victoria, which people have asked that before in other interviews as well. So I'm like, okay, not going there. But ultimately when you talk about acting and, and getting on stage and, and it leading you to where you are, I was curious when you went from the club stage to the stage stage, theater stage, and then film stage, all these stages, what was that like for you? What did that feel like to progress forward on all of these stages? Was it a different version of Alex or what was that like? That's exactly right. It was different versions of me that I discovered along the way. And I always say that I am really an 
accidental revolutionary. It's never something, uh, activism was never something I planned. It, it, it was really a survival technique for me. When I was offered to be in a play or do a musical or be on the radio or join a circus, I was in the circus, by the way. What? Uh, I, yeah, not a joke. And you can actually find that on YouTube. You can find me flying in a circus on YouTube. Nice. So, uh, yeah, I people would say, do you want to be in the circus? And I'd be like, yeah, I do. Who would not want to be in a circus? It's like teaching. I never had a plan. I knew I wanted to get somewhere, but I didn't know how I was going to do it. So every single piece of newness that happened to me was an extraordinary gift. I literally couldn't believe my luck. I, st I still can't. And it seems like you've never once taken it for granted either. I hope not. I don't think I, so. I don't know. The other people would probably be able to answer that. <laughs> I, I feel like there's moments in, in my career that I can look at and point to and say that that uh, my behavior there is probably not the greatest. Most likely I can. There are moments when I think I was whether where the hell where, where, this is my trailer. How dare you? You know, there, there are. <laughs> Sort of I moments. Brown M and M's, only brown ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. What's her name? Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey. <laughs> I saw Mariah Carey's because I had a a friend that used to be a personal assistant to everybody. Yeah. Faye Dunaway, like just be it, be Arthur. Wow. Just people that were like kind of yeah. good idea. Yeah. Don't I don't think you need to be around those people. But anyway, he was also occasional personal personal assistance to big singing divas and one of them was mariah carey and her i forget what it's called but the because i don't have one but you send before you because i'm not a concert gold record selling grammy winning person you go do your concerts before you do they have a letter that says this is what i require mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. On stage. mariah carey's was 17 pages long 17 down to the color of the carpet, the kind of furniture, and where the outlets needed to be located. <gasps> no. no. Oh, so <laughs> think about that for a second. Yeah. So I, when I behave like not great, I always say to myself, well, at least I don't have 17 pages filled with outlet plugging. So. <laughs> yeah. Your requests don't require a, a journeyman to come in and rewire the total building. No, no electricians are involved when I do a play. <laughs> So what is what is required when you when you do things? Not much. I mean, it gets a little. <laughs> I, the list has gotten a little longer as I've gotten older. Uh -huh. I have to say that uh, there are some things that I do ha like to have, but they're basically like, where's my Barbie and where's my, you know, I have to make sure that I have my picture and my things like that. But there are some things that, yeah, but there certainly isn't 17 pages worth of stuff. I wouldn't even know how to write that. I guess. Can I ask what are some of those things? I require water. I require a dressing room that, of a certain size. I require a lot of cleanliness. It's basically like when you do a Broadway show or uh, something that requires you to be away from home for a long period of time, I'm surprised even if you say, I'm not a materialistic person, which I respect. I'm not a materialistic person. Eventually, even those people, you'll find, you'll go into their space and go, oh, look, throw pillows. When does that happen? <laughs> so. For me, I have to take my house with me. I'm surrounded by things. So I, I require, it's not a lot of attention, not a lot of work. It's just at the very beginning, a move in and at the very end, a move out and then maintenance throughout. That's mm. basically it. So food, water, that kind of thing in space. Yeah, Air, you know, basics. make sure, yeah. make sure the old brown lady's still alive at the end of the run. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you've, you've, how much Broadway work have you done? 
told, I've done two Broadway shows. I did a, a comedy, a play called The Nap that was written by Richard Bean, who wrote a play, who was a Tony winner for a play he wrote called Two Governors uh, a couple of years ago. And he wrote a play called The Nap that I was in. And then I did Wicked on yeah. Broadway. I played Madame Marble in uh, Wicked twice, I saw, I saw strangely, that. because of the pandemic. I opened it and then we all went away. <laughs> and then back and it was weird. Very weird. How how was that to be in Wicked? Amazing. It was amazing. I've never been in a musical. I've done musicals before, but I've never been in a musical that was like a corporation. It was right. very bizarre because it's a whole different thing. I don't really know how to explain it except to say it's like, have you ever seen the I Love Lucy episode where Lucy and Ethel are doing the chocolate things? Yeah, of course. It's a conveyor belt and there's a certain way you have to do it. And then it, you get, it gets messed up because they can't figure out they can't plug themselves into the role of the candy maker. That's what doing a Broadway musical is like that's already been established. It's a machine. Hmm. It goes. And you have to, like, get in it mm-hmm. and go. If you stop for one second, it, everything goes. Bleh. So it's very strange. There's no time for, like, what do you think, Alex, about <laughs> this moment here? Do you think nobody's doing that? Uh-huh. People are like, say your lines and move left and make sure your eyes are open and shut up and stop talking and don't trip. Well, see you at opening. <laughs> like that's basically how it goes. So that was very strange. But here was the miracle of that show because it's a global phenomenon. The meet and greet outside the theater has hundreds of people lined up. And I was the first open trans woman to play Madame Morrible in the history of this show. So I would go outside and there would be nine years, 10 years, 11 years old trans kids with their programs in their hands Hmm. looking at me. Now, just think for a second. Remember, I told you most of the time I'm the only one in the room. Here's a 10-year-old child who's looking at a human being who's old enough to be their grandparent, who's in a major global phenomenon called a Broadway musical. And you're going, oh, it's possible. I can dream bigger than I thought was possible because there she is. And I remember meeting this one little girl, this beautiful little girl dressed like a fairy princess. Nobody really knew why, but with the wings and the whole bit, adorable. And she said, will you sign my program? And I said, yeah, of course I will. So I signed the thing and we talked for a couple of minutes and standing behind her was her mother who was young enough to be my daughter. So we talked for a little while and then I saw the parent and she said, can I say something to you? And I said, sure. So I stood up and she said, my little girl has never seen another trans person before in her life. You're the first one she's ever seen. And this used to happen all the time at the show. So doing Wicked, it wasn't all sunshine and roses, I have to be honest. I describe it like this. At the very end of the movie of The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy's sitting in her bed back in black and white, and she's trying to describe her journey. And she says it very simply. And this is how I describe my time in Wicked. Some of it wasn't very nice, but most of it was beautiful. How did that feel for you seeing that 10-year-old? What were you feeling? Hope and relief and a little bit of envy and a little bit of pain and loss for the relationship that I could have had with my own parents. And you can't say to a child who's two generations younger than you, you're so lucky. You know, they don't, that doesn't make any sense. So I refrained from saying that, but I did get a chance to tell every single parent because I went outside 
And I signed those autographs because I knew how important that was. I wasn't one of those actors that like, I have to go home. And I understand that. I don't mean to be a jerk about it. I understand if you're going to do that, but don't do that. Don't do that. Sit, stay, stay out, talk to the people, people, talk to them. That's not going to kill you. I got to talk to the parents and I got to say, listen, from every single trans person of my generation, thank you. You have no idea how healing this is and how much it matters. So I got to do that. That's amazing. It was astonishing and Wicked provided that. That wouldn't have happened without Wicked, really. Because when I was in the nap, people came, you know, and stood outside, but it was like 15, a couple of homosexuals on a hot comb. That was basically <laughs> it. But Wicked is a whole different thing because it's a national, international phenomenon. So it's like its own institution, basically. Very, very much. And it provided a, an amazing space for all of these trans and non-binary humans for us to gather. It's extraordinary. And in your experience, I know that there are some articles that reference you as being one of the first transgender actresses to do this or, you know, one of the first transgender authors to do this. Like you're, you're always referenced as one of the first because you are one of the first in, in, in those areas. And so I'm curious, does that does that ever have an effect on you when when you when you see that written about you that you're one of the first like well it's a great question because i used to wrestle with that my own ego and also needing to be seen in a way that was truthful so i used to think about that a lot and i don't anymore i i, I leave it to the history books and i figure if people are going to care about that they're going to care and if they're not it really shouldn't matter the fact of us is the thing that should matter not who's first and who's second and who's third. There has to be a first for everything. And that absolutely should be acknowledged. But I don't spend a lot of time worrying about numbers. When I was writing notes before the show, I had initially was going to introduce you, typically like I do with everyone else, that I'll talk a little bit about them. But I didn't do that with you because it's so much more fun to just talk to you. And I'm so glad <laughs> that you were just so vociferous and, and super hilarious just from the beginning. So this will be interesting for the editor. He's going to have a lot of fun trying to oh, format things. Yeah. But it's sure. okay. That's okay. That's what he's there for. What sure. I wrote initially, what it would have said was, would have welcomed everyone. And I would have said, she's referred to as an unforgettable, unbelievably talented, funny, formidable talent, accomplished on stage and screen, renowned acting teacher, the energy and light of a thousand sons, <laughs> Alexandra Billings, an amazing human being. And you can see, see it in her work, in her talks, in her books. I don't know how to properly address you. Should I say your highness? <laughs> Queen. <laughs> yes. Awesomeness. Well, whatever you would prefer. That That's how I would refer to you as. I didn't even know. I meant to say all of that in the beginning just because I, <laughs> look, look at this wonderful hat. What is this? Is this a... Tiara, how oh, dare you? It's, it's the green screen. It, it makes it look like a tea cozy hat or something. Not a tea cozy hat. Tiara, <laughs> a lot of peace. Now I can. Yeah. There you go. Yes, there you go. Your highness. <laughs> but yeah, so I wanted to say all of those things, but I want to be sure that, that you heard them because I, I put, I wrote that and I believe that all of it, all of it, I believe all of it. So thank you for, for all of your work and everything that you've done, whether it's on the screen, on the stage, as an activist, on a platform, whether it was a platform or even just a public space. It's so necessary for everyone after you to hear all of your experiences and, and all of your insight 
on the reoccurrence of the acceptance, the rights that were gained, the rights that were lost, and the back and forth, and how, how it's so necessary to know history in order for it not to repeat itself and to change things, to really change things, and the work that we have ahead. Hearing from you, I think, hearing about the decades before, hearing about Stonewall, hearing about Harvey Milk, all of these things, I think it's so important. And so so please continue to, to talk about all of those times, because I think that we, we all need to hear that, whether we know it or not, whether we've read about it or not, we still need to hear it. We need to hear it so we can remember that, oh, wait, we still need to go do more about that. <laughs> we need to keep We need to keep talking about that, because... To be complacent and to to just say, hey, yeah, pass me another drink or or what's who's in concert. You're right. That's that's enraging <laughs> to think about. So it's necessary for us to continue that conversation. So thank you for keeping that open. But I hope you never stop. I am so appreciative of what you just said. And I hope I never stop either. I, I hope that's not true. I just feel really blessed and thankful that we live in a time where, because I remember a time when this wasn't true that we live in a time where this can happen. 40 years ago, this would never have happened. So when I get frustrated, I go through my day, I literally event by event and go, oh, wait a minute. That was the gift of that hour. And that was the gift of that week. And that was the gift. So I hope I never stop either, but I want you to know that I hear what you said and I am most appreciative of it. Thank you so very much. And our last question, if you could share a message with the world, any message at all, which you've shared so many, but let's just, let's just pull one for, uh, are you happy sake to stick true to the form? If you could share a message with the world, what would that be? Be kinder to them than they were to you. And what do you mean by that? I mean, don't hold on to the bullying. Don't live in retribution and expectation. Don't allow yourself to become defensive because of what you've survived. And being kind and being nice are two very different things. Niceties are fine, but my cat is nice. Kindness takes work. Kindness is tough. You have to be active. It's an actual activity. And so it takes practice. It's going to take work from you to do that. Work is not always pleasant. For anybody, no matter what you're doing, even if you're in your dream job, work is not always pleasant. So in order for you to lift up the humans that you believe owe you something or you believe are doing wrong, you're going to have to work and look at yourself in the mirror and figure out why you would help that person and not that person. Because you're not the judge of who deserves help. That's not your job, nor is that your role. You don't have that much power. There's a divine force that takes care of that. So, so let that happen. Work, study, be more curious about other people on the other side of the planet and realize that your voice is not the only voice that matters. That for all of us to collectively come to a decision, that the imaginary portal is the portal of communication and dialogue and change. We all have to find out a little bit more about each other in order to do that. The people that you think don't understand you as well as you understand them probably have the answer that you've been looking for. Be kinder to them than you think they were to you. That's probably one of the best responses we've had. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Did I win? You win. Uh, I don't know. Um, a cheese tray. There you go. <laughs> oh, I love cheese. Me too. I saw you were eating oatmeal. And I love trays. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I was like, you know what? We can have this like eating date and I can be like, I had lunch with the queen herself. I, 
I had lunch with a Sony VP on the floor in Los Angeles, like in October at this convention. And it was the coolest thing. You know, we just sat there on the floor eating, talking about bands and concerts and all kinds of things. And yeah. And now I get to have these snacks with you over Zoom. Ready. On a, what is, what day is this? One Tuesday? On a Tuesday. I don't don't (laughs) don't even know. It was a Tuesday, but, ah, this has been so amazing. So thank you. So much there. And there's this, this one question I have to ask because this, I asked the team to, you know, let me know if they had something for you. And, and one of them asked something very interesting. And she said, what is one question that you wish you would get asked in these interviews and why this girl, she needs a raise. She needs a raise. (laughs) I'm going to tell the boss. This is literally the question that came into my head. Shut up. I wish people would ask me more about Judy Garland and why I'm so obsessed with her. And here's why. Because Judy Garland is attached, like a cousin, to Stonewall, its uprising, our history, and what being a sissy and a fairy and a queer means is, was, and used to be. Because remember, back in the day, when we were underground and coded, people would find out who we were by saying, are you a friend of Dorothy? Okay, yeah. Are you a friend of Dorothy? Yeah, meet you in the black. So... I wish people would ask me more. And she's fabulous. I wish people would ask me more about Judy Garland. I'm insane. That's what I wish. So tell us more about Judy Garland. I think, okay, so <laughs> Judy, what we have to remember is Judy is a living example of zero, zero training, never had a voice lesson, never had an acting lesson, an acting lesson, never had a singing lesson. Nobody taught her how to sing. She couldn't read music. Here's how she learned music. People would go, here's how this song goes, Judy. La, 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 la. And she would go, oh, la, 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 like that. And she would have it. Wow. Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, the greatest dancers ever on film, at least, mm-hmm. would say, Here's how this step goes, Judy. Poom, pukachow, pukachow, pukachow. And she'd go, oh, like this? Poom, pukachow, pukachow, pukachow. And they'd go, yes, exactly like that. And she'd have it. Wow. So when you see her, you're looking at a complete amateur, literally someone who is not a professional in the business that they chose. If she can do it, you can do it. If she can overcome, you can overcome. If she can navigate her addictions, you can navigate your addictions. If she can find light in chaos, Lucille Ball said, someone once asked Lucille Ball, who's the funniest person you ever met in your life? And she said, Judy Garland. And they were like, Judy Garland. And she said, let me tell you something. This is Lucille Ball talking. She said, let me tell you something. I'm not funny. Lucy is saying this about herself. I'm not funny. My writers are funny. Judy Garland was funny. So if you can find a way to navigate through your chaos and the dark times, think about being an addict in 1940. Are you nuts? If she can find the humor and the light in that, you can too. And when she passed in 1969 and her funeral happened in New York City, part of the grieving process of the queer community, because remember, she was the Britney Spears of the 1940s and 1950s. She was the Lady Gaga. She was the Beyonce of this is how big she was. She was huge. Her passing, she was only 47 years old. She was very young. She was only 47, exploded in our community. And this little tiny bar that had hookers and homeless people and drag queens and 
people of uh, queers of color, this little itty bitty teeny weeny little bar, which was the only safe place we could go. Because remember, we were still being arrested. Are you a friend of Dorothy? This bar had already been raided weekly by the police, getting raped in the back, the lesbians getting hit, dragged through the streets, stripped naked and thrown out of windows, uh, the drag queens getting uh, defrocked and dewigged and humiliated publicly weekly. Judy Garland's death, that was it. There were people in that bar that night, not a lot, but there were people in that bar that night that the reverberations were felt. Mm -hmm. And this time when the rape happened, because we had had enough of being treated this way and because we were in grief and not being heard and not being seen, we threw the first brick. So Garland has a huge, she has a hold on my heart, but she has a huge hold on queer history. And so I just wish that we could just remind, you don't have to like her. It's fine if you don't like her. You don't even have to watch her movies. Just know who she is and ask more questions, especially from our generation, Mm -hmm. about who these queer heroes were that lived in this cis-heteronormative world that continue to cheerlead for us. They're an example. That's how we go on. I think that's that's its own series. It could be its own series. Needs Check. to be its own series. Get on it, someone. <laughs> Get on it. Put your glasses let's on. Let's do and this. Ready down. to write? Yeah, let's do this. Get down. <laughs> um, yeah, I love her. I love I love her in film. And what you just said provides a totally different context. And it's going to create a different context for our listeners, too. And they're sure as hell going to go look her up now. She's going to be trending. We'll make sure. And you should visit my Instagram. I post about her all the time. Yeah, all we'll, time. we'll uh, repost the them. And I, I love that. I'm so happy that you shared that with us. Thank you. That was a great question. Yeah, good job, person. Amy, I think. Amy. Amy, you're the greatest. And she's Canadian. You win. She's Canadian, so she's like automatically great. She's Canadian. <laughs> they're all so great. They say I'm sorry too much, but they're great people. Sorry. I know, right? They are great people. Yeah, I'm sorry all the time. <laughs> So is there anything that we didn't talk about that, that you want to share or anything, anything, any last kind of remarks? I wish I could stay with you forever. <laughs> well, you can. We'll always be in each other's hearts, my friend. That's always true when you share this kind of uh, dialogue. I know, because what didn't we talk about? I, for know. I know, really. Lots. I can't wait to see what you do next. And, and maybe Judy is your next book. God, what a great idea. That would be amazing. Because there's so much to share on her. You could interview other people in the career community and turn that into this book or series or something. Because all of that needs to be put into into place so we can see it and hear it and read it. There's that one, what is it? It's like a living library. I want to say StoryCorps or something of that nature where the government has this thing where they record all these stories and it's in a library. Oh, yeah, StoryCorps. That's exactly what that is. Yeah. Good people. So they need a queer version of that. Yeah, they do. <laughs> you know, because all of this needs to live. It needs to live and be preserved. All of it. All of it. So, yeah. It's all going to happen. Thank you so very much for being on our show. And we you, will Thank you share for this. Man, I, I, I still can't believe you said yes. <laughs> I was thrilled. My manager, who's... Billy. Yes, Billy, who's adorable. He was circumspect. He He doesn't like podcasts anyway, but he was like... What is going on? What is happening with you? Why do you always? And I sh- I said, okay, I'm going to send you some things. So I sent him some clips, some of my favorite clips from, from Are You Happy? And I said, I'm going to send you some things. And yeah. I want you to have the same experience that I did. And then I'm going to call you back in a week and I'm going to see how you feel. And I called him back in a week and he was like, oh, you should do this. No. So 
What? My whole team was thrilled. Oh my goodness. I was going back and forth with him for a long time. Oh, I know. But, um, I, know. I, I mean, I, life. you guys had stuff going on. You were filming. And I think at one point you were in California and I was about to go there and I was like, oh, can I, can I just do this in person? Can we knock it out? And he's like, well, no, there's all these other things. I'm like, okay, no worries. And I'm like, yeah. well, you know, this is Zoom, right? So like she could quite literally just pick a date <laughs> and we can do this. And, and then, then the email from Billy pops up and I'm like, yeah, we're doing this. So, yeah it all happened thank goodness thank goodness i've been waiting for this and i've been fearing it at the same time just because i don't know you hope that everything that that you could possibly ask that you want to ask and more that that should be heard comes out and is heard by those and received right i think we did it justice i think i think we did too i think we did a bang-up job a plus friend i mean nice work you too it's like you've done this before yeah, yeah same Awesome. Well, I can't wait to finish this book and see all of your continuing work. Have the best 2023. I always tell people whatever day of the week it is, say it's Tuesday. I think it's Tuesday. I say, have the best Tuesday of your life. I love it. I intend to. <laughs> I know you will. Enjoy your oatmeal. And yeah. uh, give my love to Chris Ann and, and all of your team. They, they're, they're amazing. And Thanks. she's delightful. I, I love seeing pictures of her. So enjoy your week and we'll, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you. The Are You Happy Hour and Are You Happy Hotline are brought to you by Are You Happy Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media such as Instagram and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. Are You Happy? The docuseries can also be found on social media such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. See you guys next time for another wonderful episode of Are You Happy? The Happy Hour.